Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Mercy Church, it is great uh, to see you today. Uh, So quick shout out to college students. Uh, City Project was this summer. It was an amazing summer. Thank you, Julian, for shooting that video. It truly was just an amazing time uh, to spend this summer just worshiping Jesus, following Jesus, learning what it means to to know him, to love him, and to make disciples, and to risk our summer for the Lord, and it was just a great time. Uh, so if you are with us for the first time, I just want to say welcome. Uh, my name is Scott Urbanic. I am the college and missions pastor here at Mercy Church, and it is my joy uh, to be able to preach to you today. I hope that you are doing well. Uh, you are actually going to be jumping into a series uh, called uh, You Are Sent, and it's volume two of this series, and it's the perfect time for you to jump in because right now, Paul is entering into the first missionary journey. Paul was a church planter and a missionary uh, who got saved by God. He was once a terrorist, and now he's a missionary, and the Lord is doing amazing things through him. And the big idea of this series is that Christian people are a sent people. By sent, we mean that we take the gospel everywhere. Our homes, our workplaces, our high schools, our colleges, at least before COVID, right? Uh, That's what we do, and that's what we did. You know, we take the gospel everywhere, and especially to places that are hard, especially to places where Jesus is not yet named. And that's what the book of Acts is about. It's a missions book. It's the true story about how the gospel started to change the world through ordinary but sent out people. And as we read this book, the big idea of the series is that we wouldn't just read it and say, wow, that story's cool. That must have been awesome to experience, but I've never seen that. No, we are the continuation of this story. We're the result of this early church living out as a sent people by God, trying to reach the world with the gospel. And now the gospel has come to us and we get to walk in that joy. We are God's sovereign plan to reach the world for Christ. And today we get to see what that means as we continue to walk with the Lord. But before we do that, let me jump in uh, with a word of prayer. Christ, we love you today. Lord, I don't know who's joining us uh, this morning for for service online. God, I don't know who's here, uh, but Lord, you do. Lord, I don't know if a friend invited them. I don't know if they found us on a website, but God, I want to thank you for them being here. I want to thank you for them being able to watch this because Lord, you are good and you have something good for them to hear. So God, I pray that you move mightily, Lord. God, give us joy in receiving your word today. And I pray this in your name, amen. Amen. All right, so the main idea of today is this. The gospel repels the proud, but draws the needy. The gospel repels the proud, but draws the needy. 
Now, we'll see this in a little bit later, but last week, let me give us a quick recap. So one of our newest staff members, Joseph Anderson, uh, he taught us through Paul's sermon uh, to a synagogue in Antioch. And the big idea of that sermon was that in God's sovereignty, he loved and chose Israel to be his people. And that he sovereignly moved through them to bring about the promise Jesus Christ. And Paul shows us in great detail how God planned and he executed the sending of his son, but also the killing of his son for the sins of the world. And for these Jews, this is the first time that they're hearing this, this gospel preached to them. So today we're picking up right where Paul ended right after this sermon. So Paul preaches God's word to them. It was this beautiful sermon. It was perfectly crafted uh, for a Jewish audience. And yet, what we see is that they didn't quite respond how you might have thought. And what we see is in their responses to God's word preached is that it's often similar to how we respond to God's word preached. So let's read really quickly verses 42 through 43. Acts 13, 42 through 43. Here's what it says. This is the word of the Lord. And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts. So devout converts were basically, uh, you know, non-ethnic Jews who had converted to Judaism So devout converts to Judaism who followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? The whole city. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was being spoken by Paul reviling him. So the first thing that we see in this passage and I want us to see today is that gospel preaching will be opposed. Gospel preaching will be opposed. Whenever the gospel's preached, you often see a mixed reaction. And this is certainly true in this story. Um, And what we see in this story is that the gospel is often opposed by those who hear it. Y'all, it can be divisive. And Jesus told us that this would happen, right? If you'll turn to really quickly Matthew chapter 10, uh, verse 34 through 36, and it says this. This is Jesus speaking. He said, do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. That's an odd thing for Jesus to say, right? Like, don't think that I've come to bring peace. Like, what in the world? Like, like he said, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Okay, 35, for I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. When Jesus said that he has come to set a man against his father and so on, what he means is that when we surrender our lives to Jesus, it will often lead to our alienation with others, even our family. And this alienation is hard, but it's also purposeful. So if this is you, it's also purposeful. And this alienation from others is often what compels us out of our love for them to share with our family and our friends and our neighbors. And the gospel is alienating also because it has an exclusive claim, 
right? Salvation can only be found in Christ. He is the only hope of the world. And, and if we take a moment to pause, we get this, right? Like we get, and it makes sense why that message could be divisive. It can be hard to hear that what we've believed and what we've put our faith in our entire lives is wrong. You know, three out of my four best friends, as I was thinking about this growing up, three out of my four best friends growing up were Jewish. And much like the hearers in this passage today, the exclusivity of Christ was repugnant. One of them said to me, so you're saying that my grandparents who survived the Holocaust after being persecuted for their faith would be separated from God if they didn't give their life to Christ? Y'all, these are real conversations. These conversations are hard, but they're very necessary. So often I hear Christians talk about how difficult these conversations are, and it's true, they are heart-wrenching at times. But just this week, I heard of members of our church texting me saying that they're sharing with their friends that they've had since high school. And they're worried about how these conversations are going to go. That makes sense. Why? Because it's, it can be hard. But God works in those hard places. And we'll see that in this passage. So let's move along. So what we see in verses 42 through 44 is that the people begged that these things would be told to them again on the next Sabbath. So the Jews and these devout converts, again, these Gentile converts to Judaism, were begging them to come back. But what we see is that by the time the next week comes around, the Gentiles were the only ones who were actually serious about it, not the Jews. And it looks like Paul and Barnabas kind of saw this coming. So they warned them in verse 43. Look there with me, 43. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, they urged them to continue in the grace of God. So they were warning them by saying, okay, you know, I love your profession of faith. That's awesome. I'm glad you're excited about this, but continue walking. Keep going, continue walking in the grace of God. And that's because they weren't interested in professions of faith. They were interested in making disciples whose fruit would last. You see, Paul and Barnabas knew the words of Jesus. They knew that Jesus said you would be able to know who his disciples were by their fruit. And what we start to see here is after just a week, the, Jew, the fruit of these Jewish people, it did not remain. But for the Gentiles, the fruit multiplied. It multiplied so much that the entire city of Gentiles showed up for the next Sabbath. So we start to see that the true fruit of the Jews, we start, I'm sorry, we start to see the true fruit of the Jews and the true fruit of the Gentiles. We start to see this theme developing that the gospel repels the proud, but it draws in the needy. And the eventual fruit of the Jews, as the scriptures say, was jealousy. It was jealousy. But the eventual fruit of the Gentiles was the multiplication of disciples, was people coming and hearing the word of God. Now let's look at how this gospel message was being opposed, verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy, and then they began to contradict what was being spoken by Paul, reviling him. 
So upon seeing this huge response of the Gentiles, this Jewish people showed what was really going on in their hearts. It was lip service last week, but this week something changed. They were jealous. They were jealous that these Gentiles were responding the way that they were. But why? Like, why be jealous? Why oppose the word of the Lord? I mean, Paul's message to the synagogue was beautiful. I mean, it doesn't make sense, right? Paul showed God's loving choosing of them, but also his power in executing his purposes all throughout Israel. So why are they opposing this message? They opposed it because deep down, they hated the idea that these dirty, unclean Gentiles that they had grown to hate over generations would now have an equal standing with them in God's kingdom. They hated seeing this huge response. They hated seeing the whole city show up to the next Sabbath when most likely they've never been able to draw a crowd like that. Their pride kept them from hearing the message. And you know what's crazy? You know who they sound like? They sound like us, right? They sound like us. Just like the Jews in this story, we can, be, we can easily miss out on Jesus because of our own pride. You know, I think this story serves as a warning to those of us who have grown up in church our whole lives and know a lot about God. Church people can be so familiar with the things about God that they end up not knowing God personally at all. Now listen, knowing about God but not being truly surrendered to God is a form of spiritual pride. And spiritual pride can be dangerous. And pride is dangerous because it gives people a false sense of security. The spiritually proud think they know Jesus because they know about who he was and and what he did and why he came, but completely opposed to Christ without even realizing it. It's dangerous. And like these Jews, they knew so much about the things of God that they became spiritually blind and they missed on God because of it. And I think we're a lot like them. So I just want to take a few minutes and give us a few handles on what spiritual blindness can look like that will make us oppose God. So here's the first one. We can make God into our own image. We make God into our own image. This means that we start to make God look like however we want him to look. That's basically what the Jews did in this story, right? They didn't like that God said that, so they, said, they started contradicting Paul. And you've heard this statement before, and maybe you've said it. I know I've said it, you know, at times. It's like, it's like, well, my God wouldn't say blank. Or my truth tells me that God wouldn't, do blank, or say blank, or think blank. These Jewish people didn't like that these Gentiles would be on equal footing with them, so they rejected the message. And we do the same. We find something that we don't like, and then we reject God fully because of it. You know, maybe it's the idea of hell. That's a hard reality for you. Or maybe it's the sexual ethic found in scripture. I don't know what it is for you, but I want you to listen in. There are plenty of things in scripture that I've read before that I wish weren't there. 
right? I, I think we all can feel that. But if God is who he says he is, if he says who he, is, who he says he is, and he loves us, and he's sovereign, and he's in control, and he spoke things into existence, if that's true, he spoke things into existence when there was once nothing, that means he is infinitely powerful and ultimately wise. But sometimes we sit here in our finite, with our finite minds, And because there's something we just don't quite get or understand, we reject the Lord and we reject his word. Which leads me to my second point. Spiritual pride can look like this. We listen to our feelings more than God's word. We listen to our feelings more than God's word. Spiritual pride can often look like that. And y'all listen, I'm a huge offender. If you can't tell, I'm a, I'm, I'm a feeler. <laughs> so, so I get excited. You know, I love really hard. I get really angry. I get really excited. And that's what my heart looks like all the time. You can ask my wife. I'm like up and down all over the place. And every time I do this, I know better. But every time I do this, it leads to more confusion and more pain. Listening to our feelings is spiritual pride because our feelings then become the arbiter of what's true. And we know that we really can't trust our feelings. I mean, look at how you felt about your high school boyfriend or girlfriend, right? Like, we know that wasn't good, big mistake, right? Listen, my feelings have certainly led me astray And they have betrayed me. And these Jewish people, in in, in essence, did the same thing that we did. They didn't like it. They didn't feel that way. So they rejected God. Which leads us to the third thing. Spiritual pride, we compare ourselves to others. We compare ourselves to others. I mean, we clearly see that. You know, these Jews didn't like them. Instead of basing our standing with God by what God says, we judge others and base our righteousness by comparing ourselves to others. But be careful because this can go both ways. This can be, oh, I'm better than them, or this is the sneaky one, oh, wait, they're better than me. Because of whatever you fill in the blank. Spiritual pride. Number four is when we attribute things to God that he would never say or do. And this might be one of the more dangerous ones because here's what happens. We make God look how we want him to look or because we feel something, then we say something that God would never do or say. You know, if you look back in verse 45, it says they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. This is called blasphemy. It's when we speak things that God would never say or do and then attribute it to Jesus' name. And we don't have to look very far through history to find examples of this, right? I mean, the Jewish people in this story, they knew better. They had the scriptures. Paul just showed it to them beautifully. Yet they rejected God anyways. They wanted God to look how they wanted him to look. They wanted a warrior deliverer. 
yet they got a suffering servant. It wasn't what they thought or hoped or wanted. Ultimately, we oppose Jesus for the same reason the Jews did. We want God to look how we want him to look. But when it comes to the gospel, Jesus doesn't give us that option. And when it comes to our life, he is either Lord of all or he isn't Lord at all. And I know that's hard to hear. He's either Lord of all of it or he's not Lord at all. Continuing in this passage, we see uh, number two, that there is a great opportunity for gospel preaching. So point number two, there is a great opportunity in gospel preaching. All right, so we've seen that gospel preaching can be divisive and that you'll face opposition. And now we see that despite this opposition, Paul and Barnabas, you know, we see that there is a great opportunity for gospel advancement and gospel preaching. And the same is true for us. And when I say gospel preaching, just really quickly, I don't necessarily mean like what I'm doing right now. It can also mean like sharing the gospel with your friends. Just wanted to clear that up really quickly. All right, verse 46. Here's what it says. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, and this is Isaiah 49, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Continuing on, verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing. Y'all, they lost their minds. Like, they lost their minds. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Full-on awakening going on here. Just amazing. And we saw in verse 49 that the Jews started to oppose Paul and Barnabas to the point of reviling them and contradicting what Paul was saying. So old Paul and Barney here simply told them that they they were going to start with them, but since you're rejecting it, we're moving on to those who will respond in faith. But because Paul and Barnabas knew the scriptures, they weren't discouraged by the Jews' rejection. They weren't discouraged. They weren't deterred by their lack of faith. I love this. They weren't deterred because they knew the word of God. They moved on to the Gentiles just as God promised. They understood their place in God's sovereign plan to reach the world. We see this in verse 47. For so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul and Barnabas knew. They knew. They knew about the suffering servant passage of Isaiah 49 which says that the Jews were supposed to be the ones through which the Gentiles came to faith. And as Jews, Paul and Barnabas, who have now placed their faith in Christ, their own faith, they knew God called them to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas, they're a great model for us in this, right? They trusted and believed in God's word, so they obeyed. That's it. They knew they were walking in this Isaiah 49 promise. So quick question, 
Do you know your place in God's plan to reach the world? Do you know your place in God's plan to reach the world? Now, don't let this wash over you. We are in the same place as Paul and Barnabas. They knew God wanted to reach the whole world through them, so they lived out, they lived sent out lives. The same Isaiah 49, the same Matthew 28, the same Acts 1-8 passages apply to us as well. And right now, all around the world, there are great opportunities for gospel advancement. You know, recently I was, I was, I was reminded of a conversation that I had a little over a year ago with one of our missionaries in South Asia. And they were telling us just some of the amazing things that were going on. But you know what their biggest obstacle is to people coming to know the Lord? You know, I thought it would have been like, it's really hot or like, you know, it's really hard to live there. The language barriers, you know, the cultural differences, the food, right? Like, like maybe those things are really difficult. But what they said was that when they go out to make disciples and share the gospel, people respond. The problem is that there aren't enough people laboring. There aren't enough people going. And if we, and they said, if we would just go, if we would just send people, if people would be obedient, we could see a lot more people coming to faith in hard places. So question, are we going to go? I know as a church, we have a heart for this. We have a heart for this. I know we have a number of missionaries and, and college students who are considering this as we speak. And if you're interested in hearing more, please shoot me an email. I'd love to talk with you about that. But I think there's a disconnect sometimes though with this. I think that for many of us, you know, it's not really a hatred for other people that keeps us from taking the gospel to other places like these Jews for these Gentiles. No, I think for most of us, it's that we don't really believe that God could use us. We don't, like, me? Really? We don't really believe that God could use us. But church, (laughs) Christian, don't believe that lie. Look back at Paul's sermon and what Paul was saying in this passage. You're not a Christian by accident. God came after you. Jesus left heaven despising the shame and went to the cross to save you. He knew you before the foundations of the world. Not only did he know you, he loved you and he drew you to himself when you hated him. And now he calls you his precious child. You're not a slave. You're not an indentured servant. You are a child. And you knowing Jesus is not an accident. It was his plan to reach you from the beginning of of time. And in the same way that he planned to save you, he plans to use you. I think a foundational passage for all of us has to be 2 Corinthians 5. I know my college students are probably laughing on the other side right now because I probably quote this passage in every sermon. But why not again? Here we go. It says that upon salvation, you have been entrusted with the message of the gospel. And this message of the gospel, that is your ministry. You are ambassador for Christ. God makes his appeal to the world through us. So Christian, you can and you will be used by God. Trust him. We can have the same exact confidence that Paul and Barnabas had. 
And look next with me. So these Gentiles uh, respond in verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. They were glorifying it because that God, like they were blown away that God had woven the Gentiles into his plan of salvation and they erupted with joy. Only a needy people respond like this. Only a needy people respond like this. Their celebration shows that they understand what they've really been saved from. The Jews knew a lot of things, yet their pride repelled them from the gospel. And these Gentiles knew a little, yet they saw their need and began rejoicing. And if you don't know Jesus today, let this be an encouragement to you. You don't need to know a lot of things. You need to know one thing. You need to know one thing, that there's a Savior that loves you, and he loved you so much that he went to a cross to die for you. Jesus died in your place. And he died and God rose him from the dead and he defeated death and sin so you could be reconciled to him. Today can be the day of salvation for you, so don't wait. If you've been mulling over this for a while, give your life to Jesus. You know, talk to somebody in this chat, email me, talk to somebody, we wanna help you. This is the greatest joy in the world. And then we get to the second half of verse 48. So we see that the Gentiles heard this. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And then it says, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And as many who, as were appointed to eternal life believed. Here is a very clear example of God's sovereignty and salvation. And this is a super helpful passage for us because it's coming off of a sermon about God's sovereign plan to move through Israel, through the, uh, to reach the world for Christ. And then we start seeing it happen. Like we start seeing it happen immediately after the sermon with the multiplication of disciples through these Gentiles. So what we're seeing is God's foreknowledge and calling of those who would put their faith in Christ. And as you read this, I'm sure it leads to a few questions, right? Like what does appointed mean? What does this have to do with salvation? How does this affect evangelism and missions? You know, I'm not going to be able to spend uh, my whole time here because uh, it's a very big question, but there are three things that are pretty clear in Scripture that we can all agree on. Here's the first one, is that God is sovereign in salvation. God is sovereign in salvation. And this simply means that God sovereignly knows and calls people to himself for salvation. God is the actor. So that's the first thing. God is sovereign in salvation. The second thing is that humans are responsible in their response. So humans have been endowed with a free will, moral responsibility, and the ability to choose. We see this in, in even before the fall. But here's the rub, though. Because of our sin nature, even though we have a choice, we would still never choose God. We would choose our sin. We would choose our sin every single time rather than choosing God. Humans are sinful by nature and by choice, and we cannot be saved without God's initiative and grace. Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Y'all listen, dead people can't do a thing. 
We didn't find God. He found us because we were spiritually dead. Dead as a doornail spiritually. And then God made us alive through the Holy Spirit by awakening us for us to respond. God is the actor here. It is by grace that you've been saved, not of your work. So God sovereignly knows. He predestines and calls people to salvation without compromising a person's personal responsibility to repent and believe in the gospel. All right, so we see God's sovereign, God is sovereign in salvation. Humans are responsible in their response. And, and third, we're called to go. We are called to go. God has chosen the church to take the gospel to the whole world. And think about the confidence we can have because of this. Because of the sovereignty of God, think about the confidence that we can have. Paul just preached a sermon about God's love and choosing Israel, you know, and, and, and that they would be the vehicle through which the Gentiles come to faith. And now the church is that vehicle. We can have confidence in evangelism and in missions because God has a desire to reach the world with the gospel. That was what was Paul and Barnabas, that was Paul and Barnabas's confidence. That's what they put their confidence in as they moved forward. They preached about God's desire to reach the world, and then they actually started to see him doing it. God accomplishes this work. It's him. He is the one who accomplishes this work. But listen, he doesn't do this without human agents. And I've heard some say, well, you know, it says they're appointed. So if they're appointed by God, then I don't really have to evangelize or be involved in world missions. Well, no. You know, it says in Revelation 5 and 7 that there are people from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping Jesus. But how did that happen? Romans 10 says this. How will they uh, call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Any theology that lessens our passion for personal evangelism and world missions is unbiblical. Rather, God would want us to marvel at the fact that God has saved us and that God has chosen us. Like, are you kidding me? Like, God saved me? Like, he wants to use me? I can't even believe it. I mean, my resume is full of sin. It's full of shame. Yet God appointed me and he's called me. And that's the same for you. It's the same for you. Oh, man, I'm running out of time. <laughs> all right. Uh, I get in trouble all the time, Mercy Church. You know, have grace on me. All right, here we go. Verse 50. But the Jews inside of the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they chose to dust off the feet, dust their feet, I'm sorry, but they chose to, sh uh, to shook off the dust of their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Right here we see our third thing, the joy in gospel preaching. The joy in gospel preaching. I love verse 52. And they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. While the response of the Gentiles was amazing, like, it, like they're coming to Christ left and right, but they were still persecuted. Paul and Barnabas, right? They're still persecuted. It was still hard. And it said that women and men of power in this city stirred up the people to persecute Paul and Barnabas. Yet they still had joy. 
The pressure of their circumstances didn't discourage them. It gave them joy. Church, this is what obedience does, especially obedience when it's hard. We get joy. God gives us joy. He gives us joy when it's hard. He gives us joy when we're opposed. He gives us joy when, it's, when people start not to like us. He gives us joy when we're reviled. Obedience leads to joy. And I also love the last part of verse 52. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. God is with his people. Look, when it's awesome and everyone's responding and God is with his people when they are reviled. The Holy Spirit is with us. What a great promise. Well, as I close, I just want to talk to a few people online just as you're watching. I'm sure um, many of you are maybe joining us for the first time. Maybe you don't know Jesus. or um, I just want you to know, I don't think it's an accident that you're watching with us right now. I want you to know that God loves you. And not only does he love you, he wants you. He wants you right now. And I'm sure you have a lot of questions and, and those questions be, can be answered, but there's only one question right now that really matters. Have you ever surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you ever done that? You know, maybe there's a few of you that are watching and maybe you're realizing for the first time that you've been walking in spiritual pride and that you've been rejecting God because of that. Or maybe you don't have a relationship at all and, and you don't even, like, you know nothing about Christianity. All you know is that Jesus lived a life you couldn't live. He died a death that you deserve and then he was buried and he rose again from the dead, defeating death and sin so that you can be reconciled to God. And I want you to know if that's all you know, that's enough. That's a great starting spot. You know enough to give your life to him and to trust him. So I want to give you an opportunity. I want to give you an opportunity right now to respond. Not later, not when you thought about it. Today is the day of salvation. I want to give you an opportunity. A simple way to do that is just by praying to God. Now these words in itself is not like a ritual. If you just say it, you'll be saved. No, it's, it's the meaning. It's, it's, it's your heart behind it. If you really mean this, this is a way that you can give your life to Jesus right now. So you could pray something like this, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that my pride and my sin have separated me from you. But today, right now, I'd like to turn from my sin and follow you. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me and that you raised from the dead and that you did that for me. Jesus, I want to receive your salvation today. If you meant that, and you prayed that, and you really surrendered your life to the Lord, I want you to let us know. Let us know in the chat feature there, or, or email one of us, or, or call me, show up at my house, I don't care. Just let us know. Let us know that you gave your life to the Lord. Let me pray as we close. God, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for the scripture. Lord, thank you that we see that the gospel, it, it opposes the proud, but it draws in the needy. And Lord, we are needy. Whether we realize it or not, we are needy. We need you. So Lord, I pray that this word 
from Acts 13 will convict us. It will challenge us. It will encourage us to continue in the race. And God, I pray for those who are praying to receive you. Lord, I pray that you will seal them with the Holy Spirit, that you will give them gospel community and a desire to read your word and to obey you in whatever you've called them to do. Lord, we dedicate them to you on this day. God, we love you and we give you praise. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.